Welcome back, everybody. Time for ESPN Zuba Mahente right here on the Big Talker 1700. As always, Zubin, it seems when we talk to you, there is some sort of breaking news, and this time it is from the world of college basketball. I'd like to get your reaction to the Rice Commission's report now stating that they would like to eliminate the one-and-done and other references in that report for college basketball. Being that Iowa is a college basketball state, doesn't have pro teams, so your reaction and what you think will happen. Well, to me, it's tough. because I think from the sports perspective and the kids' perspective, it's really one of those situations where this has been said for a really long time. Um, the sport is in a situation where you can't really put a lot on these kids because it it's remains to be seen whether any of this can be enforced, right? It's great to come out and put out this report and Condoleezza Rice and John Thompson and some unbelievably well-known and well-regarded names are on this. But there is still a ton of skepticism, even with these great names, that are impeccable, whether this is going to have any bark or bite. Um, in any walk of life, whenever something negative happens, we're forming a committee, we're forming a group, and we're going to do something about it. And in many cases, that ends up actually leading to real action and change. But in college basketball, they have been talking about these sorts of reforms since Ed O'Bannon was complaining about it in the 1990s. And I think if you ask Ed O'Bannon today, if you went to his like, car dealership in Vegas and said, what's changed 23 years later, he'd be like, a little bit, but not a lot. So that just leads me to believe that even though there was a commission formed and it's the right thing to do in light of the scandal, I'm not quite sure that anything is going to come from it um, because commissions have been formed in the past and nothing has happened. Why is this time any different? From the kids' perspective, uh, if you're Ben Simmons, you clearly don't want to be at LSU. You're clearly ready for the NBA, and we've watched him. There's no reason to think we should hold a guy like that back. But if I'm a college basketball supporter, not a Ben Simmons supporter, he made the right decision for himself, obviously. But if I'm a college basketball supporter, an Iowa or Iowa State fan, or you and I are Drake fans, I think it's pretty obvious college basketball was better to have Trey Young in it for one year than to not have him in it. To have Marvin Bagley the third, to have DeAndre Ayton, whether he was tied up in this or not. To have some of the guys we saw from Kansas this year. I mean, to see some of that, uh, to have those types of players. To me, it was absolutely positively well worth it to have those guys spend 10 months or whatever it is on a campus. Essentially, Duke starting five minus uh, Grayson Allen. Um, we're robbed of all of that if there is no one and done. So I think for the sport, it's one thing. For the player, it's the other thing. And at the end of the day, the commission is obviously trying to do its best for the players, the student-athletes. But deep down, I think the underlying notion is what's best for the sport. Publicly, they need to say... Let's do what's best for the player, the student-athlete. But I think deep down they know having those student-athletes for 10 months is better than not having them at all. But, again, I just wait to see if anything comes from this report. I'm very skeptical. Love the people involved, but I've just seen this too many times. Well, and you get into a slippery slope, at least in my mind, Zubin, is you know if you, you go down a process like they have in collegiate baseball where if you decide to go into college, you have to remain there for three years, well, college baseball isn't very big. And Zubin, you know, college basketball isn't what it once was. It has become more and more a one-month sport for a lot of the casual sports fans out there. 
are you further alienating your sport if you go down that path and you're not losing just the top 5, 10 guys, but you're losing the top 35, 40 guys that, that decide they're just going to go to the league and play in the D League for a couple of years and see if they can develop there. I think it's a concern that you're you're really hurting your product even more. Well, a couple things there, Trent. I think, one, if the G League proves to be an alternative, a viable alternative, now it is an alternative, you can go there, but it has to be a viable alternative. Um, why does Jimmer forget play in China for four months a year? Because behind the NBA, believe it or not, he can make more money playing in China than he can anywhere else in the world, which might be a stunning stat, but the problem is you only have your basketball life for a short amount of time. He's going to go there, play for four months, make more money than he would make playing longer in other places, come back to the United States, hope to get a 10-day contract or something in the NBA. The latter part of that may be over and done with for Jimmer, but he understands that he can spend more time with his family if he has better alternatives. And for him, China is a great alternative because it's more money and less time. Now, if the G League were to become something like that, then I think you would see guys doing it. But right now, while it is an alternative, because technically you can go to the G League, it's not a viable alternative because you're not making a lot of money in the G League, and a lot of these guys feel like they should be first-round picks, and that generally means you're a millionaire, and they're not making anything close to that in the G League. But to your point of the top five versus the top 35 or 40, I would just say this. I would say, because like you said, it's a one-month-a-year sport. Um, But for the people that pay attention from practice in October, November, December, January, and February, I would say Trey Young as one person captivated the sport. I know some people got a little bit over it. There was a little too much, a little overkill. But that was the guy that was bringing you to the set every night. As talented as Bagley was, he's not must-watch. Um, the other guys weren't must-watch. you got to admit, for some small amount of time there, Trey Young was like must-watch TV if you're a college basketball fan. And you're right. Mm-hmm. If you take him out, it's just one of the top five players in the country. But he was getting an inordinate amount of attention. So you're right. It can affect the top five. It can affect the top 30 or 40, if you talk about 30 guys picked in the first round of the NBA draft, understanding there's some foreign players, obviously, as well. They're not all collegiate players. But you could just say it affects one guy or here or there. But if that one guy is gobbling up the lion's share of attention and making college basketball relevant when the NFL, college football, and baseball playoffs are still going on, then I do think you do have to be concerned about that. I'm not saying Trey Young is a once-in-a-generational type player, but in today's age of prolific scoring, social media, a talented player can really elevate the sport very, very quickly. Zubin to ESPN is our guest here on The Big Talker. All right, Zubin, let me follow up with that, because also in that Rice Commission recommendation was that if a coach is terminated, similar to what Rick Pitino happened to him, that he is terminated for life. To me, that seems a little harsh, uh, I, I think if you lose your job, isn't that uh, enough damage uh, e- enough? I mean, you're pretty much persona non grata for several years anyway. It depends. It depends. Um, I think it depends on what the risk is. Like, I know, it's funny, I think we talked about a couple of times previously where, you know, could Drake hire Rick Pitino? I, I don't seriously think they ever considered that, but I know a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, we talked about that. DeVries, obviously, Darren DeVries is a much easier choice, safer choice. But let's say Drake's athletic director was a guy that was above reproach, a guy that wasn't in his first job. Um, it's a really well-thought-of guy that's been doing it for decades. Or it's not Drake. It's a bigger school that has a lot more riding on basketball. Uh, I think you see a sliding scale there. 
I think you would see a guy in a situation like that hired. In football, it's sort of like Petrino. Petrino, I mean, time and again, problems in the NFL, problems in college. He has no problem getting a college job. So I agree with you that in some cases you're persona non grata, but it depends who you are. Um, if you're in a desperate situation, if you just started a program, if you're not worried about consequences, then I think you go out and make that sort of move. I mean, Richard Pitino is still Minnesota's basketball coach. I think there's a lot of people surprised by that. Um, so a lot of it is a sliding scale of where you are and what they expect the program to be. Um, I also think part of the reason they have to do it, Jim, again, I don't want to be too skeptical, is that they have to pretend like there's teeth in this stuff, right? We got together, we put this together, and there are going to be some serious yeah. consequences pounding your fist on the table, you know? And again, this is, again, to your kind of trends point, there's only 1% of people that are probably going to fall into this category because if you're still trying to cheat after what was unveiled by the FBI, then I think you're just asking for it. But I think there's a lot of interpretation on terms of who is persona non grata and who deserves a chance and who deserves the opportunity or who has the equity to stick their neck out and give this extra person a chance. But I also think part of it, Jim, is window dressing to say, look, these aren't just recommendations. In some cases, we're, we're calling for wholesale, hard-line changes, and this is one of those examples. I'm not saying there's anything that's not genuine about it, but I think they needed to have some sort of hard-line stance somewhere where people could point to say, look at these guys, they're throwing it down. And I think in this particular case, it's probably that provision there. Zubin, uh, on the eve of the NFL draft, the continued speculation, what Cleveland's going to do at one, all the talk about the quarterbacks. This might not be proved to be a great draft, but certainly one of the more intriguing ones that, that I can remember in quite some time. Where do you sit as we get ready for the draft tomorrow night? Yeah, to me, I mean, I know this is a term that we use in the media industry, so I know you guys will be aware of it. You know, I'm sure some of your listeners will be too, but like to me, the whole thing about this draft, has been we're bearing the lead. I mean, every day it's like the draft starts with the Giants. Like, that's all I hear. Like, you know, the Browns will take a quarterback, and Mayock said something to me that makes a whole lot of sense. I really like Mayock. I love, love our guys, too. I love Mel and Todd. But Mayock said something the other day that made a lot of sense, which is, you know the Browns are going to take a quarterback at one. And as much as they might like Josh Allen and who knows what they like, and, you know, Dorsey's done a really good job playing at Coy, no matter what they do, uh, Mayock's point was, I'm going to paraphrase Mike here, They've just messed up so much at the quarterback position that even if they truly like Josh Allen, he's made a lot of common sense, not just sense, but like a lot of logical sense. As much as they like Josh Allen or don't, let's just say they like him for the purposes of this discussion, um, it's just too risky. <laughs> Sam Darnold just seems like a safer choice. Does that mean Josh Allen's not good? Does that mean Josh Allen can't be as good or better? No, but if you're the Browns and you consistently have gotten this wrong and it's a quarterback league and you just cannot to get it wrong again, Mayock's point was you just got to take the safe pick here. Uh, again, could Darnold bust? Yeah, I mean, anybody could bust. But it just doesn't feel like you would be as worried about Darnold busting as Allen. And that made a lot of sense when Mayock said that. When you're in a position like Cleveland that is just swinging and missing all the time on the most important spot in the game, you just take the safer choice and move on. But I, in terms of bearing the lead trend, I would say that, you know, to me, um, <laughs> You know, the, the Browns have two of the first four picks. That is such a bigger story than the draft starting at two with the Giants. And I understand because the Giants think a quarterback or Saquon to get all that. But to me, the one team having two of the top four picks is a way bigger story than the Giants at two or the Broncos open for business at five. And I just don't understand why there hasn't been that so much, 
outside of Cleveland, why there hasn't been that much more discussion on that mm. particular notion. That's that's interesting, uh, Zubin. What about that fourth pick? It seems now that the rumors are circulating that the Browns are entertaining conversations from a lot of other teams that they might trade down uh, if they think they've got the right deal. What have your uh, insiders said to you about that? I think if you're just a fan, you look at it if you're a Browns fan. It, to me, I mean, if you could get, like, Sam Darnold and Saquon Barkley, I mean, obviously, if Barkley were to somehow fall to four, I think, I think your fan base would be thrilled. You know, we got our quarterback. I mean, they've obviously been the most patient fan base in the NFL. They, along with the Bills, who just snapped their playoff drought and still packed the place in western New York Sunday after Sunday. And the Browns fans have, you know, they've just sat through just nothing since 1999, and they're there with you. So if they feel like you're moving in the right direction, this isn't going to be a rush job. So if you can get your quarterback in Barkley, I think their fan base would be extremely happy about that. But I also think that they have so many holes that I think that they would be willing to move down. Our experts say rounds two and three, or essentially what you're going to see on Friday, really not so much Thursday, there's so much value in this draft. I mean, is it out of the realm of possibility that Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb, and Geis um, are 80% of the player that Saquon Barkley is? I think that's possible. I really do. And if those guys can be almost what Saquon Barkley is, um, why not trade down, grab those guys, and pick up extra picks, especially if you're a team like the Browns? If you're the Giants at two, and you feel like if we get Saquon Barkley and we add a wide receiver and OBJ is back and healthy, suddenly 37-year-old Eli Manning looks a lot better when he's thrown to OBJ and he can keep the defenses honest with Saquon back there. But if you're a team like the Browns that has numerous holes to fill – and you can get, you know, 60 cents, 70 cents, 85, 90 cents on the dollar in the second round in terms of talent, then I think you've really got to look at that because the Browns are not a team that says, you know, all right, we draft the right quarterback, we finally do something we've never done right, and we're fine. They know they have holes all over the place. I was talking about this with Joe Thomas today. Joe Thomas retired. We had him on SportsCenter. And the thing that Joe said was they're really moving in the right direction. And that's a guy that doesn't have any, you know, he doesn't have any reason to say that to me on ESPN other than the fact that he actually really thinks they're moving in the right direction. Um, Dorsey did a great job. He's got a great reputation. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But no, no, nobody lower than Joe Thomas himself said the Browns are really moving in the right direction. And that'll be interesting. And as I also told Joe, it's probably not the last time I'll talk to him on ESPN. So we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> All right, last thing for me, Zubin. I'll let Jimmy B finish up with you. Let's go to your guys' beloved NBA. Hey, this first round has been fun. It's been entertaining. I'm, uh, I've been into it four games tonight, though, a, a really busy one. What's the one game, what's the must-watch game that gets the main screen for you as you're watching the four this evening? Well, I'll probably end up watching them all, so I'm going to take right. all of them just because we'll be in a position at work to be able to do all that. So I think there's actually, to be honest with you, I mean, when you get to tomorrow with the games and the draft and the NHL, that's the day that I think is really going to be amazing for sports fans when you kind of take a look at what's going on in both of the playoffs and the draft at once. So that's the day I'm really looking forward to. For me, it's just one of those things where at this particular point, the NBA playoffs, have proven to be one thing that a lot of people didn't think would happen, which is, what do we have besides LeBron in the East? And I think the Sixers, while a lot of people thought the quote-unquote experts all thought the Heat were a bad matchup for them, and after Game 2, the experts might have been 
right, right? You know, they got blown out in game one, came back one game, two on the road, wrestled home court, and then it was over. I think no matter how many games are played tonight or whatever the situation is, they have a real story in Ben Simmons, a real story, and Embiid. And I think people were really worried, especially us because we're airing the Eastern Conference Finals, were really worried about what the situation was going to be like if it's LeBron or LeBron were to get knocked out early. I don't think that's going to happen. But what is the story in the East besides LeBron? In the West, it's pretty obvious. New Orleans has made themselves a story. Utah is fantastic. Um, and obviously the obvious stories of Golden State and Houston. Um, but in the East, I think there was a real concern like beyond LeBron. What do you have from a TV perspective? What do you have from a viewer perspective? What do you have from a hardcore fan perspective? And I think the Sixers have filled that void incredibly well. So I think that is, to me, one of the biggest stories of the first round. Not that they won and won easily and it was a bad matchup, but it said they've, they've essentially become, and I don't know if you agree with this, Jim, I know you watch a lot of NBA, the Sixers are now, to me, right now, must-watch TV. I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. They are highly entertaining. A minute left. I'll let you go on this one. If Utah knocks out Oklahoma City tonight, is Billy Donovan coaching in college basketball next season? You know, I think a lot of heat has been put on Billy Donovan, but I don't think a lot of this is on him. You know, I was discussing this the other day. I was doing SportsCenter a couple nights ago. And I, I, I don't think you can call this the big three anymore. And this is why I'm going to give Donovan a break. At the end of the night, they bring out Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony. Melo's play does not necessitate him coming to the podium. <laughs> okay, I love Melo. Melo's a great player. He won a college championship. But he is just a, a shell of the player that he used to be. And again, I understand that. He's been in the league since 2003. What do you want? Then again, so is LeBron. But LeBron is LeBron. He's a special case. I don't think the roster is as good as people think. I think Westbrook plays his heart out. I have no idea if Paul George is about to play his last game as a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder. You gave them one year to gel, and one-third of the big three, Carmelo, is just not the player he used to be. He's living on his reputation. Westbrook's amazing. Paul George could be gone. David Adams took a big leap forward. They do have some very talented pieces. But I don't think you can throw this on Billy Donovan because this is not like the Celtics' old big three or new big three with Casey Jones and Doc Rivers. This is not the Bulls' big three with Phil or the Lakers' big three with Shaq, Kobe, and Paul Gasol. This is one transcendent, amazing, ridiculously talented player along with one guy that's got one foot out the door and another guy that's past his prime. And you can't put that on Billy Donovan. Good stuff, Zubin. Yep. Go ahead, Trent. Appreciate it. We will get to you again next week. Thanks, as always, for your time today, Zubin. All right, guys. Take care. Zubin Mahente, ESPN, joining us here on the program today. Good way to kick off the 5 o'clock hour, Jimmy B. Basketball tonight. I know you're pumped up for it, and you're ready to roll. I am, pal. Look, I'm going to be dialed into everything. And don't forget about that Game 7 in the NHL tonight, Toronto at Boston. Mm. You know me. I'm all about Game 7s. I told you. It could be it could be Chinese checkers. It could be tiddlywinks. You had to look up what pickleball was yesterday. If it's a Game 7, I'm dialed in. 
Coming up on the other side, we got a lot more to come your way, including a conversation. We're taking a look at the Green Bay Packers as we continue through the local teams, taking a closer look at what the Packers are going to do tomorrow night. Our man Evan Tex Western will be stopping by. We'll talk with him a little bit about Green Bay football coming up next here on Jimmy B and TC. Welcome back, everybody. We roll till 6 o'clock tonight right here on the Big Talker 1700. Evan Western is our guest, cleverly disguised as Tex. Uh, he's from the Acme Packing Company. In other words, he's all about the Green Bay Packers. He joins us right now. How are you, man? And let's start first with the NFL draft tomorrow night and where you believe the pack will select. Will they trade up? Will they trade down? Will they just stay where they are? Hey, well, good to talk to you guys, and, and man, this has been a long off season. But um, as far as the Packers sitting at 14 right now, um, I, I really kind of have the punch that they're going to move up a couple of spots and go after one of the defensive backs in this draft. Um, all the reports say that they love Benzel Ward, the corner out of Ohio State, uh, and that they're high on Duran James, the safety from Florida State. So I definitely could see them moving up a couple of spots if one of those guys falls to maybe the 10, 11 range. Um, and, and make sure that they're able to get one of those guys to bolster the secondary. Well, before uh, we get deep, too deep into the draft, Evan, just want to talk about the offseason as a whole and, and what you've seen out of the organization. Obviously, a shifting of powers at the top as uh, Ted Thompson steps aside. Your thoughts on this offseason and just getting a grasp it, a lot more active than what uh, we normally expect mm-hmm. out of the Packers. Yeah, definitely, and and that's certainly going to be the the storyline throughout this whole off season. Is what does Brian Gutekunst do now that he's in the big chair, uh, taking over for Ted? And um, I mean, Packers fans saw uh, one of the fan favorites leaving, Jordy Nelson, um, replace him essentially with with Jimmy Graham in that offense. So, so that'll be interesting to see. I think the red zone production will stay very very good, and, and the question is going to be how does Graham help the offense move the ball between the twenties. Um, and, and is he going to be still able to stretch the field the way he was in New Orleans before he got to Seattle? So that'll be interesting. Um, bringing in Muhammad Wilkerson from, from the Jets, I think that's a really big move, especially with Mike Cutton coming in as a new defensive coordinator. Um, both guys have some chemistry already because they, they were together in, in New York. And um, I, I, I think everybody, as far as Packers fans go, is, is, ready, is ready to see a change from Don Capers in D.C. Um, and so we're excited to see what Cutton's new philosophy sort of brings to this defense. Hey, one more on that. Ted Thompson is still part of the uh, organization. Do you know what his involvement is going to be in the Packers' war room, what what he's going to be doing there, and, and how much influence he still has? Yeah, it sounds like essentially at this point he's going to be a glorified scout. Um, he's talked about how he, he loves going out on the road and, and watching film and watching guys work out in the spring and, and watching college games and things. And so it, it sounds like he's going to be a glorified advisor, somebody that Gutekunst can kind of bounce ideas off of and, and still get some scouting reports from. I mean, fundamentally what Ted Thompson is at heart is he's a great talent evaluator, and he always has been. And so getting him out of the role where he has to face the media and the fans and, and make all these big decisions and into something where he can just kind of right off into the sunset and, and do what he loves and he does best, and that's just scouting players. I think it's a, it's a natural transition, and it's the right thing to do for the organization. Uh, I'm just real curious. We'll stay with the off-season uh, shenanigans that took place. Where were you on the signing of tight end Jimmy Graham and the ouster of wide receiver Jordy Nelson? Yeah, ultimately, 
it wasn't going to be practical for the Packers to keep both Nelson and Cobb at their big cap hits. I think both of them had over a $10 million hit this year. So one of them was going to have to go. And unfortunately, um, with Nelson's age, with the, the limitations he seemed to have since his ACL surgery, um, I think that was a big reason for why they moved on from Nelson instead of moving on from Cobb. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, it's, he was beloved in Green Bay. I mean, he really was. He's done so much for the organization. He was a great part of the community. And it's sad to see him go, but um, we were glad to see that he, he latched on uh, out there in Oakland. He's got some connections with some of the coaching staff and the, the players out there. So, so we're happy for him there. But as far as Graham goes, the, I was initially pretty hesitant based on the numbers. Um, three years, $30 million. It sure seemed like a lot of money for a guy who didn't really do that much outside the red zone, again, in Seattle. But um, the more we, we talk to, we, we hear him talk in the media, the more we kind of get to know how he was using Seattle, the more optimistic I am that he can become a difference maker in this offense. I mean, the Packers have taken some big swings on tight ends the last couple of years. It, you know, it worked out okay with Jared Cook. It definitely did not work with Martellus Bennett. So fingers crossed that, uh, that Graham was able to, to be that field stretcher that he once was. Week ago, uh, Evan, we saw the schedule release, opening things up with Sunday Night Football against the Bears. Then after that, you get Minnesota coming into Lambeau. So a nice start to the season, a couple of division rivals coming into Lambeau right away. Your takeaways when you uh, take a look at the schedule right there in the middle after the bye week certainly jumps off to me. Back-to-back road games at the Rams and then at New England. Yeah, it's really interesting. It seems like the home games are very front-loaded in September and back-loaded in December. Um, and so the, if they can survive that real tough stretch in the middle of the season, you mentioned it with the Rams, the Patriots, it's kind of a trap game there at home against the Dolphins uh, after that before there's a game against Seattle, I think, as well in that stretch. So that mid-season stretch is really going to define what this team does. If they, if they should be able to get out to maybe a, a 4-1, 5-0 start, something like that with with so many home games starting out early, but um, and then they should be able to close it down pretty well in that last month of December. So all eyes will be on the early November portion of that schedule. Interesting. Okay, then take me to back to the draft, and you talked about where the club may try to trade up so they can get the defensive back that they want. Do you see this draft as absolutely wacky? And when I say wacky, do you see teams trying to move up down uh, beginning uh, like tomorrow before they actually uh, get ready to go? Yeah, I do expect a lot of movement, even more so than than what we've seen in the last couple of years. And I, I think the quarterback situation is a big part of that, right? We've got several teams that need quarterbacks, um, several teams that are kind of in the market to transition from from older players, guys like Eli Manning in New York, even you know even maybe Tom Brady in, in New England, and you can see New England trying to package their two late first round picks, uh, move up and and get a guy into the, the early teens or something like that. So I have a feeling there's going to be somebody who shocks us, kind of like that, kind of like Kansas City did last year, moving up for Patrick Mahomes. You're going to see somebody I think make a real big move upward, um, trying to get one of those top five guys. And then I, I could even see, you know, maybe a sixth guy like a Mason Rudolph sneaking into the back end of that first round as well. Wow. Um, but, yeah, I think with, with so much talent concentrated at that position, and then um, there's, a, there's an interesting drop-off, I think, between the first-round talent and the, the second round. There's a lot of guys that I think are, are worthy of second-round picks. So I think you'll see a lot of movement on day two as well. So, Evan, as you, you go through and look at the needs of this squad, 
We talked about a 14, a possibility looking at a cornerback or safety, something to help the defensive backfield. Offensive line, at least appearing, appears to me, something they still need work on. You got Bulaga, you expect coming back, but certainly hasn't been a picture of health along that offensive line. After corner, if they don't go with the defensive back at 14, could you see an offensive lineman being the pick? Yeah, I, I don't actually think offensive line is going to be a way they go early. Um, I, I just don't see the value being there and, and the types of guys that they like um, in terms of their physical profiles. I think you're going to see more of that, more possibility in day two with like a Colton Miller or a Brian O'Neill out of Pittsburgh. If they don't go defensive back, I think they actually go pass rush because Clay Matthews is in the last year of his deal. Um, Nick Perry is, is coming into the second year of a big deal, but um, he's had still had some injury question marks. So if you can get another impact pass rusher at 14, if those DBs are all gone, a guy like Harold Landry, maybe a Marcus Davenport, I think that's kind of where you go if the defensive backs are off the board. All right, I've got a question here. Uh, Des Bryant, cut loose from the Cowboys. He's only looking for a one-year deal. Do you think Green Bay would be interested in Des Bryant just for that year for this coming season? You know, I think they should at the very least make the phone call. Um, it's What the Packers have right now is they've got Devontae Adams, who's a bona fide number one at this point. And then you've got, again, a big Jimmy Graham who can play out of the slot. Randall Cobb's a slot guy. They don't really have that other boundary-wide receiver. And so a guy like Bryant could come in, and, and as long as he doesn't need to be the number one guy like, like what Adams is, if he can be a good complementary piece as a number two, I think that's a real good role for him right now. But um, there, there's so much history there with, you know, with the Dez catch in the playoffs a couple of years ago at Lambeau. Um, he's even kind of joked about that a little bit, Dez has. But um, I, I, I don't necessarily see it happening. But, yeah, if I was good against, I would definitely make a phone call and kind of gauge what his interest level would be and, uh, and what his what his asking price is. So uh, what are the compensation that they got in the trade, uh, trading away Randall to the Browns and bringing in Deshaun Kaiser is the first pick in the fourth round. That'll be the first pick of Saturday. How important do you think that pick is and the flexibility? Teams looking to move up. There's still maybe a guy available after the third round. That appears to be one that probably more coveted than you normally expect a fourth round draft pick to be. Definitely, and they had it last year after a trade with the Browns as well. They, uh, when they moved back out of the first round, got the first pick in uh, day two and in day three. Um, they ended up sitting there and taking Vince Beagle, the Wisconsin linebacker, last year. Um, what I could see is if, is if they do move up in the first round, they probably give away their third-round pick to do that. And so what I think they might end up doing is packaging that first pick in the fourth round with a couple of later picks, maybe sneaking back into the, the back end of round three and grabbing somebody on a Friday night. Um, it, it's definitely a, a valuable proposition, and the Packers have so many picks on day three that I think they're more likely to move up out of that spot rather than trade it back and pick up a couple extra picks. Can you remind people that it's just not the first day of the draft uh, <laughs> that that teams really do well on the second and third day? <laughs> yeah, I mean Ted Thompson was was a master of finding guys in like the fourth round. I mean he's found a, a whole bunch of offensive line starters there. Uh, guys like David Bakhtiari and T.J. Lang and, and Josh Sitton. Um, Mike Daniels, you know, Iowa guy, he was a, a fourth-round pick. And so, you know, really, you go all the way down to that, that level and, and you know, in, into the later stages of the day three, there are good players out there. And uh, the, the teams that are, are sending their scouts out and, and doing their homework on these guys 
they're going to find him. And the fact is, usually they're one of the ones who, uh, who does a pretty good job on day three of finding some of these guys that can come in and contribute. Evan Tex Western joining us, Acme Packing Company, part of SB Nation. We're talking Packers. Last thing for me, Tex, uh, a lot of change up in the coaching staff for McCarthy this year. Joe Philbin back as offensive coordinator. You mentioned Pettinen as a defensive coordinator. Some names uh, people around here might know. Jerry Montgomery, former Iowa offensive lineman. He's the new defensive line coach. David Rye, who is a, a quarterback at Iowa, the wide receivers coach. The shakeup of the coaching staff. Uh, just your overall thoughts uh, on what McCarthy did with this group. Yeah, one of the things that he really talked about is wanting to restart the offensive scheme from the ground up, just kind of rebuilding it entirely. And and bringing Philbin in, I think, um, is going to be a, a good move for the Packers just in general in terms of um, Philbin was always a great game planner. He was always one of the guys who really helped put that offensive game plan together week to week um, to, to know how to attack the opponent. And, and I think that's going to be something that, that you see help out this season. If you think back to the, the 2011 season when the Packers broke all those records, Sylvan was an integral part of that offense that year, and, and he certainly got a good relationship with Aaron Rodgers. So that should be a help. And then, again, making that transition from um, from Don Capers over to uh, to Mike Fenton as the D.C., a um, little bit of shake-up on, on some of the roles on the defensive coaching staff as well. Um, I think you'll see a little bit more clarity in terms of the responsibilities that each coach has. Um, I think McCarthy's, you know, changed up some titles here and there. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what Montgomery can bring to this defensive line. He's certainly got a lot of talented players to work with between Daniels and Wilkerson and Kenny Clark and these guys. So, um, yeah, it, it should be fun. Um, I'm looking forward to see what sort of wrinkles that they can come up with on the offensive side of the ball because you know, it really does feel like the last year or two the offense has started to get stale and needs a little bit of a jolt. So, Here's hoping that we uh, we get some some real creativity brought back into the offense. Okay, here we go then. Uh, let's say Aaron Rodgers does not get a busted collarbone. Let's say that he plays 14 of the 16 regular season games, like he tweaks an ankle and misses a game here or a game there. But he plays 14 and he's ready to go in the playoffs. Will the Packers be the Central Division champs or will it be the Minnesota Vikings? Well, you know me, as a Packers fan, i got to go with Green Bay. But, um, yeah, if he stays healthy, I think the changes that this team has made, um, again, with, with personnel on, on defense, um, and, and I think with the way they're set up to bring in some quality players on days one and two of this draft, you can come in and contribute right away. Um, I look at Green Bay uh, as, as definitely being the team to beat. Good stuff. Hey, Evan, always good catching up with you. We uh, might try to track you down next week put a cap on everything we see over the three days of the NFL draft. Thanks as always for your time today. You bet guys. Go back. Go. There's Evan Tex Western, <laughs> the Acme packing company. Always love uh, talking with him, breaking down the Packers. And, you know, I mentioned uh, Jimmy B that the shakeup in the yeah. coaching staff, Philbin coming back mm-hmm. there, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Packers are a team that I, I'm always a little bit jealous of because I, I've complained about it to you before. I know, my Bears never take guys from the University of Iowa. It just It's so rare. And you think of how much success they've had with Iowa Hawkeye players, assistant coaches, guys that formerly played for the Hawkeye. It, they got that Iowa connection up there, and, and I do like that. But I can't root for the Packers because, of course, they're the Bears' rival. <laughs> so always puts me in a difficult spot. Look, uh, I know that you have railed on that in the past, and I, and I, and I get that. 
I'm just real curious, though, Trent, because everybody that I have uh, read, all the so-called NFL experts, have the Vikings penciled in as the top team in that division. That's why I asked him that question. If Rodgers is healthy for 14 of 16, including, you know, headed to the playoffs, where he thinks Green Bay would, would stack up, I'm not so sure that Green Bay is going to own that division. I'm really not. Not with what Minnesota has done and with the acquisition of Kirk Cousins. I I know that your Bears are going to be near the bottom. Terrible. (laughs) Okay, I was going to be kinder. Near the bottom of the division, but I'll use your word, terrible. I think the Lions will be improved. And so, look, this is... This is going to turn out to me, the Central, I think, to really be a really good division. I I really think so, because I don't think Green Bay or Minnesota is going to run away with that division like we have seen in the past. Well, it's the North, Jimmy B. Tampa's not around anymore. It's not the Central What did I say? You said Central two different times. You you said it two different times. I meant the North. Uh, Another old man moment for Jimmy B. God. The black and blue. How about the black and blue division? How's that? Call it the Norris. That works well. You can go back to the old hockey terms. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I could. Yes, the the Norris division. Yeah, I, I think the gap between the Vikings and the Packers, it's not significant, but there is a gap there. I, I think mm-hmm, the Vikings yeah. are more in the line of a 11-12 win team, and I think the Packers are that 9-10 and fighting for a wild card berth. I, I think there's a gap there, but it's not significant, and an injury certainly can change things very quickly when you get into that. Well, we saw it last year with the injury, obviously, to Aaron Rodgers. It's going to be interesting. We're going to take a break here. We'll put a cap on things as we come back on the other side. Take it up until 6 o'clock tonight. It's Jimmy B and TC. Welcome back, everybody. It's our final segment here of the afternoon on a glorious day. All right, Trent, here we go. You know, earlier we had Zubmahente on the show from ESPN. He says this is much-watched TV tonight. I am with him. You have four NBA games. Two of those NBA games are elimination games. You have a Game 7 tonight in the National Hockey League and in Major League Baseball. Cubs and Cleveland from Cleveland tonight. Uh, look, I, I, I'm just going to be all over the map. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, this is like going to be absolutely crazy for me. I'm going to have to go to a different refreshment stand that has six televisions right in <laughs> front of me. So I've got everything lined up. What your your normal one doesn't have that many TVs, Brinson? It only has it only has four in front of me where ah, I like to sit. Okay, okay. Yes. See, so you're. Gonna... I got to change locations wow, tonight. Wow, Jimmy B venturing out. Might see him out and about this evening if you're if you're so inclined. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's run through these quickly then. Cleveland, Indiana, in Cleveland. Who do you got? Uh, I am going to take the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think maybe now that they have, uh, even though Kevin Love did not have a great game, he he did rebounding-wise but not scoring-wise. They won that game on the road without Love scoring a lot of points. I think Cleveland uh, holds its ground and protects home court tonight. All right, the other game at 6 o'clock, a 1-8 matchup back in Toronto after uh, a great effort out of Washington in those two games. This is the one that I have uh, circled in terms of betting. I'm getting 7 with the Wizards. I'm going to jump on that. Who do you got the win in the game, Brinson, Toronto or Washington? I have Toronto winning it, but I have them winning in a very close game. So you grabbing 7 tonight probably is a pretty good bet. Out west, does either uh, either Oklahoma City at home or Minnesota on the road either extend the series? 
Uh, I don't think Minnesota does. I think it'll be over for the T-Wolves. Uh, and, and that's not a bad thing. It's great that they made the playoffs. They're just up against a team that can just score at will in the Houston Rockets. Tonight, I would like to say that Oklahoma City protects its home court. But I think if Utah gets OKC late in the fourth quarter, they've had problems scoring in the fourth quarter, meaning the Thunder. And Utah could take them out, but I will take OKC to stay in this thing and force a game back at Utah. I, I think that game goes one of two ways. Either Oklahoma City implodes and Utah throttles them, or they pull out a tight one and get the victory. Those are the two avenues I expect to see. Game 7, Hockey, Jimmy B, uh, I'll be honest, I haven't watched a lick of this series. Toronto-Boston, what do you have there? I got nothing. Well... Okay, it's terrific. It has been a wild series. I would like to take Toronto on the road, but I can't. So I'm going to take the Bruins on home ice tonight. And a lot of baseball as well this evening. You mentioned Indians-Cubs. Certainly looking forward to that one. A lot of day baseball also happened uh, throughout the day today. And the Twins and Yankees just underway. Well, we know how that is certainly uh, going to go, (laughs) Jimmy B. And uh, you got Milwaukee-Kansas City again. Mets-St. Louis, so a couple of local varieties to jump into. Should be a good one, Jim. We'll be back tomorrow uh, talking all about it here on a Thursday. It's going to be fun, and of course, tomorrow night, NFL Draft will be here to break it all down for you bright and early tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock, right here on the Big Talker 1700.